Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This is Terry Fakes, your host for today, and I would like to talk about leadership. This is the second in our leadership podcasts. And before you think that I have all the answers or will give you something that will change your career or change your life, I simply want to share with you a few ideas that I've distilled from a long career in leadership, both from watching good and bad leaders, and then also from trying to lead myself. I will admit to you that most of the things I'm telling you are things I learned through my mistakes rather than my successes. You know, there are always leadership books. There are always leadership ideas. From almost 30 years in a leadership position in a major company, I have learned that fashions in leadership go in and out of style. And there are times when we would change the entire company to follow one particular idea only 18 months later to change it to yet another idea. I don't mean by that that leadership books are not useful. I simply mean don't expect any leadership book to change your life. Don't expect any leadership philosophy or idea to be carried on forever. Not only are they not long-term in the sense that what businesses thought was the greatest leadership advice 50 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, actually, are not what they are doing today. Not only that, in different countries and different cultures, you'll find different leadership ideas. So why talk about it? Why study it? Why read it? And it's simply this. There are some timeless ideas in leadership that stand the test of time. They stand the test of practice. And that's what I'd like to talk about are things that, at least in my life, have stood the test of time and have stood the test of practice. I'd like to talk about two principles that I uh, distilled over time. And the first is this. Decide where you're going and pursue your path. Don't dance to someone else's tune. Let me repeat that. Decide where you're going and pursue your path. Don't dance to someone else's tune. Well, first, I suppose I need to issue a caveat, which I would not have needed a few years ago, and that is, I'm not saying by this that you should do whatever fulfills yourself, whatever makes you happy, find the job that fulfills you, and forget about anything practical or rational like feeding your family or you know, paying your bills. And I'm exaggerating, of course, I'm being a little facetious, but the idea on deciding where you're going and pursue your path has both short-term and long-term parts to it. Uh, All of us would love to go into a business and say, you know, I really would like to be in this business or in this endeavor, but, you know, actually I want to be the CEO, so I think I'll go in and start acting like the CEO. Well, of course that doesn't work, but that might be the end of your path. The don't dance to someone else's tune, what I mean by that is simply, uh, don't. I do not mean that you don't need to be under authority, you don't need to respect uh, the leaders in your company or your church or your mosque or wherever you are. You need to respect the authority. I just don't think you're going to be happy with your life at the end if essentially you have been pursuing other people's agenda. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. So first of all, you have to decide what your goals and your values are. Now, I know that sounds like a big kind of cure world hunger kind of statement, and I do mean it on two levels. Let me start at the first level. 
First of all, you can decide on your values and your goals on a project-by-project or year-by-year basis. I'm not talking about deciding what you're going to do with the rest of your life. That's uh, one of those things that can get us so twisted up that we never actually act. What I mean is, is you're given an assignment or you're given a new job or you're uh, in a particular project. Decide what you want to achieve. What does the company want to achieve? What does your organization want to achieve? How do you want to go about doing it? What kind of character and creativity do you want to bring to it? So in other words, this isn't necessarily a, you know, your whole life kind of a value or goal. It can be simply a project by project or stage by stage of your career. But ultimately, and I think this happens a little bit over time, you begin to distill what your life values, what your life goals are in terms of your profession. I hope that if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, you come to every profession you have with life goals and life values. But as a professional or as a worker, as a a helper, whatever it is you do, I think you kind of come to an idea of what's my professional life really going to be about? And I think that's what I mean in both specific and larger circumstances. You see, for a leader to be effective, a leader basically needs to frame the situation for the people that are following. I used to say that a leader's greatest function is to frame reality, but I think maybe that's a little too grandiose. Let me bring it back a little and say in any given situation, for example, how to handle bad news about your company's retirement plan, how to handle changes in your workplace, how do you want your team to approach this new project you're going to start on. You basically, as a leader, are framing this opportunity. You're framing this news, and you're basically framing it according to your own values and objectives. So, for example, if you're given a project by the company, and it seems like it's an impossible deadline, you have a great team, but when you tell the team, they all groan and they say, don't they understand we can't do it this quickly? Don't they understand that the IT department won't come through? Don't they understand? And you as a leader will have to frame this situation and say, I hear what you're saying. It's not without merit. But guys, this is who we're going to be. This is how we're going to approach it. We're going to give it our all. And you know what? I believe we can do this despite the obstacles. You frame the guardrails, if you will, of how we're going to go about it. You frame the optimism of achieving the goal. You frame the way you're going to achieve the goal. For example, you might say, listen, I know we're all frustrated. I know that we all think our company is asking more of us than is fair. But you know what? We are going to be the kind of people that are optimists. And we're going to tackle this. We're going to embrace it. And it's going to bring us closer together. And I think we're going to achieve it. Those kinds of statements aren't just pep talks. Those kinds of statements are framing for your team how you're going to go about it. So decide where you're going and pursue that path. Don't dance to someone else's tune. Let me talk about that second statement for a moment. Here's what it looks like to dance to someone else's tune. In other words, you feel like you have no control even over your own 
actions. And I realize there are times when you feel that way in a company, like I have no control over anything that I do. In fact, you do. You have control over your attitude, number one. And secondly, you have control over the way you go about doing the things that you have to do. When you feel like you're dancing to someone else's tune and trying to please them, trying to do it their way, you tend to feel anxiety. Am I going to be good enough? Am I going to measure up? What's my boss going to think? You tend to experience frustration. You, t- you tend to feel like you go home carrying a lot of anxiety and frustration. You know, one of the sad things about that is when you're dancing to someone else's tune, they go home and sleep pretty well, and you go home with a lot of frustration and anxiety. So it's not, I'm not saying in this case that you don't do what you are supposed to do. I mean, if your boss or your president or whatever it is in your organization says, this is what I want you to go do, well, I think that you reasonably need to do it, barring any, of course, ethical considerations, but you need to go do it, but you can't feel like a victim, like, oh my goodness, I want to choose something else. What you can choose is your attitude and the way you go about doing those things. One of the things I noticed during uh, kind of the middle part of my career was I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. Have you ever felt that way? You're on a hamster wheel. It's not that I, I guess I felt like I was dancing to somebody else's tune, but what I really felt like was I was playing somebody else's tune. And so I'm running on this hamster wheel, and when they sped it up, I sped up, and when they slowed it down, I slowed down, except they never slowed it down. And so I began to be you know, frustrated. I began to feel a little anxiety. Actually, you know what I really felt? I felt like I was in the movie Groundhog Day. If you haven't seen that movie, you should, because it's a really interesting human principle. But I felt like I was living, after time, I realized even though there was a different problem every day, even though it was a different challenge or a different unreasonable demand, over time, they all blurred together. It was same day, just a different problem. And I felt like I was in Groundhog Day. I'd wake up and do the same day over again. All you had to do was change the names or change the problems. That's a a sign that we're kind of dancing to somebody else's tune. We're not taking ownership of our own attitude and setting our ideas of where am I trying to go, whether it's values or the way I go about it, or it's what I want to do. I had some executive training one time, and it's really stuck with me over a long period of time. Uh, this is a, a uh, explicit language warning. I want to tell you exactly what they said in this to really get the idea. So they, we get a bunch of executives, a bunch of VPs in the room, and uh, they come up in front of us and they said, listen, we know you have hard jobs, et cetera, et cetera. We know that you uh, can sometimes feel like you're on a treadmill. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you, you understand our lives, or my life anyway. And I talked to enough of the other girls and guys in the team to know that they were feeling that way too. And they said, you know, here's the deal. You probably feel this way. You wake up in the morning and you go put on kind of like a hazmat suit. You know, you put on the suit over yourself. You put on the head uh, headgear and the eye, eye goggles and the breathing thing. And then you go and you stand under the shit chute. And all day long, it just rolls downhill on you. And they say, handle this. And then you take it off, you go home, go to bed, you come back, you put on your uniform, and you go stand under the chute again. 
And I thought, you know what? That has happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to any of you. There may come a time when uh, the demands of your job and your life get to the point where you feel like you're dancing to somebody else's tune. And all I'm trying to say in this is when you get in that place, I don't want you to feel like a victim. And I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, my life is mundane, because that tends to manifest itself in some really unhealthy ways. What I want you to say is decide where you're going and pursue your path. Sometimes that's at another company or it's in another organization. But you know what? A lot of times it is. I'm going to own my attitude. I'm going to own projection of my optimism into this group that I have, and I'm not going to dance to someone else's tune. I may go do the tasks that I'm given, but I'm going to do it with the attitude and in the way that I want to do it. If you want to apply this and put it into practice, I think Stephen Covey's book, it's a classic called Seven Habits, Successful People. Uh, One of his seven habits is begin with the end in mind. I have found that when I felt like I was on the hamster wheel, I was dancing to somebody else's tune, I kind of lost track of where I was going because I was so deep in the weeds. In other words, I couldn't see past the next day or week or month or quarterly uh, report or income statement, you know, whatever it may be, I had lost sight of where I was really going with this, that this was a means to a bigger end. And I found that if I would stay focused on the long term, that it really helped me put everything else in perspective. In my early career, my long term was about six months. It was, what's this new assignment? What are these new things I need to learn? Later, it became more frequently. It became as my control increased, as my pace increased, I realized that really what I was doing was keeping my compass calibrated and that I needed to take a little time to keep my compass calibrated. My planning technique is uh, pretty, pretty easy. On Sunday night, I typically plan the next week's priorities. You've probably heard a lot of talks on, you know, putting the big boulders in your schedule first. Great advice. You can put the little things in later. You've probably heard lectures about the tyranny of the urgent. Be very careful about only doing things that are urgent and not things that are important. Obviously, you have to do things that are urgent a lot of the time, but a little proactive and intentionality uh, can make a big difference. So on Sundays, I sit down and I kind of plan what are a couple of big things I want to make sure happen this week. And then I try to fill in around it all the other things that need to be done or all the other meetings, etc. But it seems that that helps me keep the end in mind. And when on Tuesday morning, I'm caught up in the morass of uh, unexpected drama or unexpected problems or issues or deadlines, I can go back to that sheet in my planner, or if you do it electronically, I use both actually, you can go back to that list and remind yourself, this is what's really most important to get done this week. The other thing that knowing where you're headed helps you with is you actually know what turns not to take. 
The problem with highly capable people, and most of the people that come to me that are in this situation, are not the people that says, you know, I'm just going to clock in at 8, and I'm going to clock out at 5, and I'm going to pick up my retirement check when I'm 72 and a half or whatever. Those aren't the people that tend to, and I'm exaggerating, of course, being a little facetious, but those aren't the people that tend to have this problem of feeling like you're dancing to someone else's tune or you're on a treadmill and you've lost sight of where you're really going. That tends to happen to people who are very capable. And here's the dilemma. If you can do a lot of things, you are tempted to do a lot of things. And it's hard to know what to say no to. But if you've got an idea of what you're going to, whether it's on a week basis or a month basis or your yearly goals or just your values of how you want to go about being a Christ follower in whatever business or whatever environment you're in, if you can keep that in mind, you also know a lot easier what to say no to, what doesn't contribute to where you're going. It's like Paul said, one of my favorite verses, uh, this is in chapter 6 and chapter 10, I'm going to conflate them a little bit, uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. And so for all of you out there, and I suspect that's most of you listening to this, you're very capable people, and everything is possible for you to do, but not everything is beneficial for you to do. Let me turn to the second thing I'd like to talk about on this particular podcast, another uh, idea that's very near and dear to my heart. It may sound a little bit uh, negative, but If you aren't at this place in your career, you will be at some point. When the frustration level gets pretty high, there are times when you wonder, can I keep doing this? And so here's the principle. Work with what you have. If your situation is not big enough to leave over, then don't expend energy or frustration on it. Get over it and move on towards your goals. I'm assuming the last principle, you kind of know what you're about. But there are times when you feel like, I can never get the team I need. I can never get the resources I need. I can never get the things I need to really feel like I'm getting traction in where I'm going. And so the first part of this is work with what you have. Think about any pro basketball or football or sports team. If you think about it, at any given time, we're in the playoffs of the NBA while I'm recording this. At any given time, you're beaten up. You've got people that are playing at 80%, and you have some people on the bench that you really need in the game. But when it comes right down to it, you still have to play the game. And at the end of the day, nobody's going to put a footnote in there and said, well, they lost, but... There is no but. Now, I'm not trying to be merciless and say it's just dog eat dog. you got to win no matter what. That's not my message at all. I'm simply saying that if we want to have a pity party uh, about all the things that have gone wrong, we're not going to win many games. But if we go out there like most pros do, and that is, well, you know what? We're going to play with what we have. We're going to do the best with what we have. And I, as the leader or coach or whatever, am telling you we can win with what we have. And that's what you see as you see it played out. If you wait for the perfect team, you'll probably be like any sports team that's waiting for the perfect roster. You're not likely to ever play the game at all. And you're likely to have a lot of excuses. Now, excuses are actually true sometimes, 
My point is not that you might not say, well, we didn't have enough capital investment. There was no way we could achieve that goal. Or you gave me too stern a time frame, and there was no way that all the groups could come together and get this done. I'm not telling you that's untrue. I'm simply telling you that approaching it, that that's your strategy, isn't going to get you very far. The record books are filled with teams that have won games against the odds, if you will. In other words, our two-star players were out, and we still won the tournament. That's who you want to be as a leader, is always positive and say, look, we're going to play with the team we can get on the field. We're going to play with the circumstances that are given to us. And you know what? We are going to go play this like champions, and we are going to win. Now, that isn't always going to happen, but back to the former principle. Who do you want to be? You want to be that optimistic kind of a person. So you have to work with what you have. I remember one time uh, <laughs> we had a situation. My job, my last job for the last 10 years or so at AT&T, I had a profit and loss statement. Kind of the way it worked was my organization, I committed to the corporation to return a certain amount of revenue at a certain amount of net, you know, a certain amount of profitability to the company. And so I got paid and I got measured on uh, net income. And so I had my own P&L statement. And so what I thought was I was running a little high. Uh, sales weren't quite what I wanted them to be. And I remember about uh, probably early third quarter, I decided I had a couple of uh, sales openings. And I thought to myself, and thought this is a brilliant move, I said, I'm just going to slow play the hires on this. I'm going to bank that money, if you will. In other words, it's not going to hit my P&L, and I'm going to bump up uh, my profitability by lessening my expenses. I'm just not going to fill those spots a little bit. And so I thought, this is going to be really clever, Terry. Well, unfortunately, about the time I decided, okay, I'm doing much better. I'm going to hire those spots. This was early fourth quarter. The company decided somebody higher than me had the exact same thought I did and put a company-wide hiring freeze on. Well, my brilliant idea looks like it kind of went south at that point. For the rest of the year, I could not hire those positions. And so I'm playing with a team that's a couple of players short. At that point, I realized, well, first of all, Terry, maybe you've learned an important lesson here that you can sometimes outsmart yourself. But the second thing is, I wasn't happy to say, well, that's really unlucky and it's not my fault. And so I just won't make very much money this year. Needless to say, that wasn't what I wanted to go home and tell my wife. So I decided, you know what, we're going to find another way, play this game with what we've got, and be successful this year. And that's what I mean. In any circumstance that you have, whether it's relational, business, whatever, you have to work with what you have. Now, I realize there are times when the frustration of constantly be putting behind the eight ball. I mean, just you feel like you're constantly not being given what you need. Your frustration with your company or the organization gets big, and it can really drag you down and you know turn into that whole victim mentality. But here's my principle. Work with what you have, and if it's not big enough for you to leave over, then don't expend energy or frustration. In other words... Leave the company, leave the situation if it's that big a deal. But if it's not, quit whining and get back in the game. Now, I'm not saying that to try to be a tough guy leader or whatever. I'm just trying to tell you. My lesson is when I tried to walk the middle line, and that was, well, I'll play the game, but I'm not going to play it wholeheartedly because I'm going to spend half my time complaining about what's going on. 
That honestly never worked out for me. There were times when I left, when I decided I cannot be successful here. I'm not adding the value I want to add. And frankly, this is just not worth it. And it's time to move to a new assignment. It's time to move to something else. If you're decided on that, then by all means, pursue it. But if not, and I'd urge you to think about that, but if you're not, then quit expending energy or frustration complaining about it. And then finally, get over it and move on toward the goal. And I have to tell you one of the best stories uh, in my career. We would, uh, I've told the story before, but may not have told it in this form. There were a group of us vice presidents. We worked for a, a president of our division. Really, his company was so big, we had several presidents. And he was a great guy. And I really respected my coworkers. So this was not an antagonistic situation. It was a competitive situation. You see, every year we would have to decide things like how many people we would have to go down and who was going to go down those people. Who was going to have those conversations that says, I'm going to have to lay off a certain number of people? Well, you know, needless to say, I felt like I, my team was great. Everybody else needed to lay off some people because they're the ones with the fat. Obviously, they felt the same way. We had to uh, compete for capital. I knew that if we could put a few more million dollars into fiber optics or whatever in the territories that I worked with and get them to the clients that I could make money from, I could sell a lot more. Well, needless to say, I thought that did the company some good. I knew it did me some good. And I knew that the people that worked for me would uh, have more money to uh, you know, do things with their family with. And, and I'm not trying to be uh, melodramatic. I just, these things have real life consequences, right? So we would get together and we would go around and we would really, let me just say we would negotiate. And it was very competitive friendly. I mean, we respected each other. We, it was very professional, but we would really negotiate these issues. And I had a boss one time that uh, he would come in and he would sit down and none of us liked this, but hey, it was high stakes. I mean, we wanted to get it done. We wanted to win this game, whatever winning looked like for us. And he would sit down and he'd put a box of Twinkies at the middle of the table. And he would open up the box of Twinkies. And so we would start He'd bring up issue after issue, and we would debate it. We would argue. He would listen. And at the end, he would make a decision. And that decision always went against somebody. I mean, there was, you know, if I were saying I wanted more capital and somebody else said, no, put it here. And he said, I'm persuaded that uh, Terry's proposal's got a better upside for the company. Uh, I would win that particular argument. The other person would lose it. He would take a Twinkie, and when he was ready to make his decision, he'd slide it across the table to whoever's argument did not prevail, and he'd say, all right, this is what we're going to do. Take your Twinkie, and let's move on. And believe me, I was on the, the losing side of several of those, of course, as we all were. And uh, when I would argue my heart out and he would reach in there, take that Twinkie and slide it over to me and he'd say, we're going to go this way. Here's your Twinkie and go on. And uh, at first, my first year as a VP, it, it kind of took it personally. After that, I just said, well, I lost, but at least I have a Twinkie. And so uh, that's always stood out to me. Maybe it doesn't translate to you, but every now and then you just need to take your Twinkie and you need to move on. And so uh, get over it and move on toward the goal. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, Email us. Tell us what you like about it. Tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.